You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, we look back on the first leg of the EFL Cup semi-finals with victories for Manchester United and Newcastle United. We'll talk about Everton, who sacked Frank Lampard, but would Sean Dice, Marcelo Bielsa or Ralph Hasenhüttl suit the club more? We look ahead to the psychological battle between Manchester City and Arsenal as the two best clubs in the country right now prepare to meet in the FA Cup fourth round. Frozen pitches are on the agenda and we'll discuss our alternative player of the month. This is the game. Hello, welcome back to the game podcast. I am Hugh Wozencroft alongside Tom Clark, Molly Hudson and Gregor Robertson all in the same building, all together full of beans after sensational EFL Cup semi-final first leg matches because that's where we begin, okay? Or at least I'm buzzing today because Man United won 3-0. We're off to Wembley. It's all wrapped up. Let's start with Southampton 0, Newcastle 1. It is actually 36 years since a team lost the home first leg of a League Cup semi-final and went on to reach the final. That was Arsenal back in 1987. Funnily enough, against Tottenham, Spursy back then as well. Uh, Newcastle aiming for their first domestic trophy since 1955. It would be a first trip to Wembley since the FA Cup final in 1999. I think they're firm favourites now to do so, Tom, thanks to that winner from Dwellington. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, from my point of view, so much has been made this season about Newcastle's defensive ability, their kind of really dogged determination in lots of matches. But I think this was another example of something that's gone a little bit under the radar that they can play really lovely fluid attacking football at times Almiron I thought was excellent as well um, and Joe Linton was really really good not just for the goal um, but his old general play in that kind of central area they caused Southampton loads of problems and I think probably Eddie Howe will be a bit disappointed it's not more than one um, having said that I, I thought Southampton were good I don't think this is a kind of catastrophe case of Oh, Southampton are in real trouble. I think this was another match under Nathan Jones where they showed signs of a little bit of progress this season, um, looking a bit more like a kind of cohesive unit on the pitch. Um, and, and they had their chances. I think we don't want to get too much into the whole handball thing, Adam Armstrong's goal, but I, I felt a little bit sorry for them in that respect. Yes, he, you know, the use, use of the arm accidentally has helped the ball go in, but I think it's, it's pretty harsh and they could feel a bit hard done by in that respect. But I think Newcastle, as much as it being 1-0, it's still tight and you're referencing those stats. I think they're comfortably the favourites to go through. Yeah, yeah, I think so, especially in front of that home crowd at St James's Park. Um, it's interesting to hear Tom say that he thinks there's development at Southampton, Gregor. What's your view in it? I'm slightly concerned by the recruitment, uh, the headlines at least. James Bree 
from Luton Town, who Nathan Jones has worked with before, fullback coming in. Antoine Semenyo of Bristol City, linked with Southampton today as well, which for some people is a coup, but for me, I've said it before, it goes one or two ways when you start buying loads of championship players. They either defy the odds and you become, you know, they, they defy all the reality and become really good Premier League players instantly, or you basically buy yourself a championship team and end up getting relegated. Yeah, they they wouldn't fill me with that much confidence, to be <laughs> honest. Look, they're solid players, as you say, but uh, they need a little bit more than that. They need cutting edge. So they need need someone who can score goals. Jay Adams went through, and I've never seen anyone look as you know less confident of putting the ball in the back of the net when he's one v one with a goalkeeper. Um, but you, you know, even even Alcaraz who came in and he's you know I think he's twenty. Um, so they've got either really inexperienced players or they're looking at, as you say, a couple of championship players there. They need, I think they need a bit of, bit of Premier League experience. Mm, but I haven't said all that, I still think, I, I kind of agree with Tom, there's there's kind of green shoots there. There are moments and spells in all of these games recently where they've looked really kind of aggressive, uh, playing the front foot. Um, you know, I, I think they've got everything right up until the kind of that final bit of quality in the in the penalty box and that's what they need. That's what they need to go out in the transfer market and, and acquire as well, I think. The, the point I was, I guess maybe I didn't make um, in quite a clear enough fashion was that I think this game, so, Newcastle was so dominant um, and so clearly the better team and were, you know, putting together lovely passing moves that I think previous Southamptons uh, and other teams of their level would have been completely overawed. But they are coming back at teams. They are coming back at Newcastle. They had a go. And I know that sounds a little bit patronising, but what I mean is they had a go. And you, when you were watching it, you were going, oh, I can see what they're doing here. You know, it wasn't just a bit haphazard. It wasn't just wait for Ward Prowse to try and bang one in. There was actual thought and tactical movement behind their attacks, and so that's why it gives me a bit of hope and confidence, despite all the points you make, you which are which are perfectly pertinent. Molly, I, I tend to think, and this was one of the big takeaways from the game, by the way, all, all the big news on the game podcast, that Jacob Murphy's wave to do a Coletta side is going to come back to haunt him. I just get that feeling. He's going to be a meme at some point soon. Yeah, he's a meme that I should probably be using on WhatsApp because it's hilarious. <laughs> um, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't have enjoyed it quite so much if I was being the one sent off, to be fair. Um, but I actually thought the the manner in which Newcastle scored was literally a tap-in for Joe Linton. And I think it was actually exactly the way they needed to do it because I did their game um, against Palace in the Premier League. And I wrote a piece off that on the fact that Howe's done such a fantastic job with the defence, you know, as Tom mentioned. But going forward, they've actually struggled in, in recent games. I think it was um, in three of the last four Premier League games, they hadn't actually managed to score. And then Joe Linton missed that sitter earlier on in the game. And you just wondered if it was going to be like another nil-nil, another one of those kind of games where Newcastle dominated, but they just couldn't quite get the finishing touch. So I think actually it was almost perfect that it worked out in the way that it did. I think it will give him a lot of confidence going forward into the Premier League as well. Just coming back to Jacob Murphy, I mean, I, as any listener knows, I'm a big fan of S. Housery. Mm. Love it. Absolutely love it at all levels. <laughs> but I did find myself thinking that this is the kind where you do look like a bit of a mug. Like you're kind of, you know, you're a bit part player in the squad. You've come on. And also the whole context of the incident itself, he runs in from miles away like a kind of weakling in the playground, gives him a shove and then runs off. And then once he's been subbed off, he gives him a little wave. Like, I know, obviously, the whole no one likes us, we don't care is very much becoming part of the kind of Newcastle narrative under Eddie Howe. And it's working for them massively. It worked for them against Arsenal. 
like the fans seem to be buying into it but this felt a little bit gratuitous it felt like I, you know s housery to the point of gaining an advantage great a little bit gratuitous for me and as i say i agree with you Hugh. i wonder whether it'll come back to bite me in the arse you loved it Gregor. yeah i did yeah <laughs> <laughs> partly because the kind of broader context of that like 10 minute period uh lianco got right up in in Gumaris's face like when he had him on the ground he was he, you know pushed him on the floor they had a little set too there was a few nigg- it was getting really niggly at this point so and then glad the car just took took out so maximan like he was he was he was he was through probably so yeah, absolutely. Southampton have been given out plenty. Look, I'm trying to count how many bookings he got here. One, two, three, four, five, six. And that was, you know, two or two obviously made their red cards. So it got pretty feisty. Mm. And, you know, nothing wrong with that. I also loved, as I said, at Manchester United's victory over Nottingham Forest, your former club, Gregor, of course. Comfortable win for Manchester United, I've got to say. They didn't have it all their own way. I'm not going to say they're flattered by the scoreline, but um, they'll be slightly concerned with the ease with which I think Nottingham Forest were able to break on them at times because they did create plenty of pressure, saw a lovely finish from Sam Surridge. That's one thing, by the way, I always criticise him for, making it making his finishes too hard. Sometimes you see him trying to put the ball in the top corner and he'll skew it off into the crowd. You think, low and hard, mate, probably goes through the goalkeeper. He's so close. I've always criticised his finishing. He puts that in the bottom corner and I'm like, what a finish. Absolutely fantastic. Delighted for the boy, even though he scored against the club I support and it's ruled out for VAR. And I was like, oh, God, this bloody VAR. Just take it out of the EFL Cup completely, okay? Just let us enjoy one competition that is VAR-less, okay? But anyway, Manchester United did create plenty of pressure themselves. Uh, Marcus Rashford, 10th goal in as many games. Um, and after that, I think you, you thought yeah, United were always going to win the game. Val Veghorst got his first United goal. There was a 100th goal involvement in 155 United games for Bruno Fernandes when he added a third. That rounded things off on a night that we now, I think, know Manchester United will be back to Wembley. So really the question is, how important is it for Eric Ten Hag that he's been able to do this in his first season in charge? Or should we actually just respect Nottingham Forest and wait and see if they overturn things at Old Trafford? No, I mean, it'd be a miracle if they did that now. That's the, that's the sadness for Forest, is that it's kind of, it's drained the life out of the out of the tie for them. This was a big, this was a big, I think it was the first time in 47 years or something. I plucked that number at the sky. I hope that's I think that's right. <laughs> it's been it was a long time, um, and so Forest like they were plucky, but by this the second half it was a kind of procession. Really, I thought for Manchester United. Do you think they were plucky? I thought they were better than plucky. I don't know whether I'm just being the kind of Mister Positivity on the podcast this morning, managing to find joy with Forest and Southampton. But I thought. Particularly in the first half, like Gibbs White and Brennan Johnson, like, Scarpa's like looking like he could. You know, be, they caused the United problems. I, I, I agree. United deserved to win three nil, maybe a smidge too far. Two nil, that felt like a kind of fair scoreline. But I'd say I thought Forest were better than plucky. I thought they, you know, again in the season as a whole, I came out of that watching it thinking, for example, well, then no guarantees they'll go down. Like they're in with a real chance. No, no, and no. Cooper's done yeah. a lot of really good work over the last few months. Absolutely. I just thought they were better than plucky. Fair enough. But I mean, also the. As Cooper said afterwards, the defending is so naive, and they kind of they had banished that. But you know, the third goal, the third goal is the one that kills it, and it was a shambles from 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 Forest's point of view, really. So, um, but you also have to praise you know Marcus Rashford in the way that he took that first goal. It's just he looks so so powerful now. It's incredible. Um, again, you can criticise the defending. I think you can criticise the goalkeeping a little bit too. 
you know, he looked a bit, a bit shell shocked that he'd appeared in his penalty in his uh, in the penalty box, but still an incredible run. And from that moment forth, it, it gave Forrest like a bit of a mountain to climb. Forrest were in the FA Cup final in '91 and runners up in the League Cup in 1992. So slightly less 30, than 47 years. What was it? 31. A long, 31. A long yeah. time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a long time. But I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Um, well, it's 47. 47 is Newcastle. I knew it was a number. 47 is Newcastle since they've been since won won a couple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Domestic. Yeah, 1955 for Newcastle United. Yeah. Um, no, I, listen, I think there were positives for Manchester United, positives for Eric Ten Hag, slightly disappointed by Nottingham Forest, but, you know, if, if you'd said before the game, Man United are going to win 3-0, you wouldn't have been massively surprised either. Um, like I say, is it important for Eric Ten Hag, sad for Steve Cooper, but um, it gives United maybe the possibility of resting players in the next tie, which would be interesting to see what some of their fringe players will do, but ultimately I think Forest have bigger concerns with the Premier League. Um, do, do you think this will affect the squad, affect the players, a disappointment in any way? I don't think so. I think, like Tom said, if if you watch that game, I think it shows that they're, they've elevated from a team that was sort of odds-on to go down to a team that's now, you know, fighting, more than fighting, is, is clear of that relegation zone. I think it was quite frustrating, actually, watching... Brennan Johnson because he oh, actually got in some that was my next point. fantastic positions yeah, and like he's perfect until he gets to the end bit and then it's like he just panics but I think like ultimately when you're playing against a team like Manchester United that's the difference isn't it you've got someone like Marcus Rashford who can do all of that and then has the the calm the composure the experience for that last little bit and I think that's probably what um what Brennan Johnson doesn't have yet but I I would agree that I did enjoy um I did enjoy watching Scarpa and I enjoy the fact that he's what is he a skateboarder? Just <laughs> seems like a really cool guy. <laughs> I did like the Brazilian huddle at the end of the game. Yeah. I think there were six or seven Brazilian players just having a hug and a smile, everyone happy. It's just a game. Who really cares Roy about King the result? Raging, fuming up in the gantry. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Anything anything that you noticed in this game, Tom? I'm I'm gonna make a big, big call. White Wakehurst signing of the January window. Oh, I'm going early. Go. I'm going early. <laughs> I'm going early. I just think nice finish. Nice finish. Good reactions. Following in all those things you hear all the striker pundits talk about on TV. But more more than that, I think he's going to bring a lot out of the United team around him. And I think that was what was one of the many many myriad of problems with Cristiano Ronaldo was that he wasn't that kind of figurehead striker that worked tirelessly, made runs for other players. You know, as they picked out in the. Uh, punditry of the Arsenal game his run took some defenders away created space for Rashford I was looking this morning at the um, statistics and the average position maps for the Arsenal game and the Forest game and despite United being a bit deeper and a bit higher at the pitch they kind of had the same same layout which was Vekos much deeper playing kind of quite close to Fernandes and Eriksen and Rashford and Anthony pushed high and wide which kind of buys into this theory of that he's going to drop deep try and pull defenders away and make some space for the for the wide players to run in behind, and also give give Fernandez and Eriksson passing options, little one twos, play it in, move up the pitch. I think he's going to be a really simple and effective and important player. United have had so many terrible, terrible signings in terms of from the Cavani's to the Agalos, and everyone thought this was another one. I'm going early. I think he's going to do really well. I just got to say, in terms of attitude. You know, we've brought in a lot of players at Manchester United who are maybe there for one or two seasons. He might be at Manchester United for six months. 
He looks like he's fully going to give it absolutely he everything. He loves it, doesn't he? Yeah. He's absolutely buzzing. And why wouldn't you be? Why wouldn't you be? From Besiktas to Manchester United, I think but he's you know, just like, what's does, going does on no here? Does no one agree? Like, I'm not saying he's going to score 15 goals and be amazing. He might only score five, but I think he will make United a more effective unit as a team overall. I'm intrigued to see what happens if Anthony Martial's fit. Vacors all the way, like yeah. all the way for me. I mean, I'm, I don't think I'll be a, United fans. Surely you're agreeing with me. Surely. What What are you thinking about Anthony? Because I, I've seen him live. I've seen him on telly, and I've been a bit underwhelmed. Shouldn't have asked that. Have why, I started why something not? now? No, I'm not. I'm I not. I'm, be bad. But I'm not. I'm not even going to rant about it. I'm no, not. I'm no, not, we don't need to. We've got Vacors. We, love, me, it. No, we love, love it. Let, but let me tell you something because I was going to talk about Brennan Johnson. I might as well talk about Brennan Johnson and Anthony at the same time. Like there is coaching required. It's that simple. You know, they're younger players. They need work. They need to improve. Ultimately, Brennan Johnson needs to work at getting his head up and having a look. He's so quick, and I think he's so used to just bursting away and getting a shot off with no one being close to him that he's kind of missed that layer of you need to check what's around you, you need to check back at times. Anthony's the opposite. He needs to go on his right foot more often and try and go to the byline more often. He, he seems afraid of his right leg, to be perfectly honest, which you don't want to see because it is very readable, very predictable, and the defenders are basically lining up... Um, you know, horizontal to him, if you like, across the pitch, like totally square with him, saying, go on then, go on your right foot. And he never goes that way. And you've got to at least make the defender, I mean, you've played in this position, Gregor, so you can tell me, but you've got to at least make the fullback think there's a chance he's going to go on his right foot. They all know it's not going to happen. So just force him onto his left, go in for the tackle there. And he usually goes, that's this is the other thing, he doesn't go back into midfield, doesn't usually get a, a pass into a forward. He usually goes all the way back to the fullback or to a centre half. And that's easy to defend against. Written a piece about uh, defending against Saka, and it's in the Times today. And is it that kind of drawing that parallel is, is interesting because the th- the biggest threat, you know, Saka's biggest strength is his kind of unpredictability. As you say, you can go, you can go, you can beat you inside. He always does. They're similar. They, they do the dummy and then they chop back and they do the dummy. They kind of they just try and move the defender just to create an opening, a channel either side to go and attack. Anthony can go down the line. He could do it. He's got the pace. He's got the pace over the first few yards. And the thing that Saka is so good at as well is even once you do that, he doesn't always cross it with his right. He sometimes wriggles because he's got the low centre of gravity. He wriggles kind of underneath almost mm. the defender and across. Anthony can do that. He's got he's got the explosiveness. Um, but as you say, it's, it, he, is too, he is too scared to have even face even the prospect of having to swing his right foot. That's almost, an issue. Almost like he needs... A selfless, tireless big man <laughs> next to him Vic, to play off, to play off, to come and say, "It's all right, son. Just give me the ball. You make the run. I'll give it back to you." On Vicarst, be... I, I agree that he'll be he'll be a handy signing, and he'll here help, he comes yeah, on he'll, the fence. He'll Robertson help Manchester again. United, you know, get in the top four. But in the clutch games, in the games against the biggest and and the you know the best teams in the Premier League, I think he'll be a weakness. I don't think he'd be a weakness. I thought he was actually quite why, good against why, Arsenal. Why is that? Though? He held the ball up. He brought he brought other players into play. He helped them move up yeah, the pitch. He won all, free kicks. He'll do all the simple things well, but, but again, you'll still be relying on Rashford or Anthony, and you're only really relying on one of them just now. But, but you then, need you need all three of your forward men to be a threat and a real danger and someone who can score goals or create. And he's not that. Okay, time to move on. I've got to say though, and it's early days. We'll come to it if it actually does come to fruition. But the prospect of Manchester United and Newcastle facing off 
in the League Cup yeah. final is one that I'm really looking forward to. But I don't want to be disrespectful to Forest or Southampton, so we will discuss that if it actually does come to, to be. And look, we, we skirted over the clean sheet thing. Like, For Newcastle? Yeah, like, it's ridiculous. Nick Pope, Martin Hardy's written about it. He's not conceded since November. Like, I mean, <laughs> they've got a chance. Until, <laughs> they've got a chance of winning this. Until he faces Val Bakehurst big... in the final. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, uh, listen, we could talk and talk and talk about that, but I think it, it, it's remarkable for 16, Newcastle. Yeah. 16 clean sheets in all conditions, more than any team in Europe. Yeah, yeah, that is remarkable. But, you know, Rashford, he'll score. Don't worry about it. From anywhere on the pitch, he's unbelievable, etc., etc. He'd be facing Kieran Trippi, the alternative player of last month. <laughs> <clears throat> <laughs> right, and by the way, Alternative Player of the Month is coming a little bit later on. Uh, we'll talk uh, also about Manchester City against Arsenal. We'll be talking about frozen pitches. Um, they've probably annoyed you at some point if you're a Football League fan. Uh, Premier League fans as well at times. But um, up next, we've got to talk about Everton. Sacking Frank Lampard, which we spoke about at length on the last podcast, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, and I think in the end, understandable. I know, Gregor, you weren't with us for the last podcast, um, that Frank Lampard was was um, dismissed by Everton. I think we all saw that coming after the defeat against West Ham. Yeah. Um, look, I think I agree with everything that you guys said in that podcast. And he's, he was, he's not the biggest problem at Everton, but he, he didn't look like he was going to be the solution to them kind of staying up this year either. So... It's completely understandable, and I think they're the worst team in the league. Okay, pretty um, to the point. They are the worst team in the league. I'm not sure they're the worst squad in the league, which That's means quite possibly true. Yeah. Whoever comes in has a little bit of something to work with if they can get it right. I think it was quite damning in terms of the fact that it was like every manager that played Everton like needed a win. So, like, it ended up being Moisey that if he hadn't have won that game, he would have gone. And it sort of showed just how bad Everton were. That Every team that needed to win won, and they just didn't pick up any points. And But I think the worry of that is that that round of fixtures against teams that actually looked pretty winnable, especially if you, if you look at Everton's squad, it's like, well, you've lost all them now. They're, they're, those sort of golden chances to beat those around you have gone so I think it's I completely understand why Lampard lost to Bournemouth yeah Yeah. lost to Bournemouth lost to Wolves uh, lost to Southampton lost to Everton I mean huge opportunities beaten by Leicester at the start of their recent bad run as well literally every literally every team that is in and around them pretty much but it's now you're putting a manager in in a position where they're already sort of it's not like the problems are starting they're already like deep deep in the problem and they want to appoint a manager by the weekend uh, it's been reported their next game in the Premier League is the 4th of February Arsenal top of the league I mean no one wants that for their first game it's at Goodison Park as well Second game's the Merseyside derby away from home at Anfield. I mean, it couldn't be worse. I mean, it, this this these couple of games have got caretaker written all over them. Where is Duncan Ferguson when you need him? Well, he's gone to Forest Green. Okay, <laughs> that, so is, that does seem like a strange match. Let's just see. It also <laughs> says a hell of a lot about Everton when Duncan Ferguson's looking at it and going, "Now nah, go to the club bottom of League One." Actually, thanks very much. Then they've got Leeds and Aston Villa at home. I mean, it doesn't get any easier before they go to Forest. These are huge, huge games in terms of Everton staying in the Premier League. Um, and you just think, you know, even if you get a decent coach in now, 
what are they going to be able to do to turn around the mood and the form of this squad, this club? I mean, it's a, it's a huge, huge challenge and it's why it's so interesting. Any listeners should really be following um, our reporter, Paul Joyce, who's been writing about this all week in such in-depth detail, um, kind of all the ins and outs, all the politics that's going on. It feels like there's at board level different choices about where they want to go in terms of what kind of manager they want to get in, which explains a lot about why you've kind of yo-yoed between Ancelotti's and Koeman's and then the Sam, Allardy- Sam Allardyce's of this world. I mean, I, I, I find Everton a fascinating club. I was speaking to a friend of mine uh, last night and I'm going to throw him slightly under the bus because I just nodded along and listened to his views and uh, said, yeah, really interesting, mate, and now I'm going to slag him off on the podcast. But, <laughs> you know, he's been an Everton fan for a long time and we were talking, I was asking him, you know, who do you want? And he was like, Bielsa, I want Marcelo Bielsa. It's exciting, it's exciting. I was like, well, you know, any listener of the podcast knows, he knows. I was like, why don't you want Sean Dyche? He's an amazing manager, knows the league, knows the position you're in, knows the situation, knows about avoiding relegation. And he was like, you know, I just... Dyche will be in the same position he'll keep us up and then next season we'll be 13th or 14th and we'll be in the same situation again I was like mate Everton you'd be delighted to be 13th or 14th where you are right now like this this is part of the problem with Everton West Ham had it before David Moyes came in and which is why they're a fascinating case with the whole oh should we sack David Moyes Everton the kind of delusional aspect of we want someone to build a project for the future the project for now is to get them up a level put some foundations in excuse the pun when they've got a new stadium coming but like put some building blocks in place to become a modern football club they're an absolute that's, that's not this job though no but that's what this, this, got, this job needs to job. get them to this no, is but... what I mean they need to survive first not go down which would be disastrous I think not go down so yeah, you know, th- this I, is what I, fascinates me about them because and as I say the reason I mentioned Paul Joyce's reporting was that in, in his articles he talks about the club being reluctant to a point Dyche, Sean Dyche, because he was seen as a firefighter. And my, I posted this article on Twitter using those words. And the reaction, both from non Everton fans being like, lads, your house is burning down. You need a firefighter. Mm. To Everton fans being like, we don't want Dyche. We don't want Dyche. Yeah. And some of them who even thought Lampard did a good job, partly because, I don't know, because he's Frank Lampard. Yeah. Because there was an idea that. They're gonna they're gonna move beyond. They it. wanted Frank Lampard, they wanted, so they kind of they doubled wanted, down on the fact. They wanted him to do really. He well, was yeah. their choice. This is what I mean, and this is why it's fascinating, and it was really interesting to hear my mate talk like this because I, from the outside, when I heard Everton want Marcelo Bielsa, I went, "You must be absolutely yeah. joking." Same. I cannot believe that in any sense, and also I don't see Bielsa taking it. I was looking at his managerial history. He's had twelve jobs. He took eight of them in July, two of them in late May. He took the Leeds job on June the 1st. The only one he took like mid-season was the Argentina job in October. He, you know, he wants to have his players well drilled. Yeah. He, I don't, I, 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 he, he must be looking at that and going, no thanks, lads. Marcelo Bielsa is one of those uh, reportedly on the short list. Sean Dyche, who you mentioned as well, and Ralph Hasenhutl, the former Southampton boss. And I think a lot of people would feel like his football and the way things were going at Southampton would lend itself to relegation rather than to survival. But he did stay up year on year. Sean Dyche, we know what he did for so many seasons with Burnley, clearly ended badly, sacked in his final season there. And Marcelo Bielsa sacked as well by Leeds United when they were getting absolutely smashed every week. So it's not like you've got a list of managers that you think, wow, you know, I I, I honestly believe that you should be going for the one that's kind of the best defensive manager. And and just going back to your point on what this job is, for me, this job is survive. Number one, 
and the majority of this role is to keep Everton in the Premier League and get them towards, even though Farhad Mashiri has come out to say the club is not for sale, clearly get them towards either a sale or major investment because the finances aren't there to run Everton to the point that they want to be. Remember that this stadium, Farhad Mashiri did say that that would be paused if they were relegated to the championship. So it changes the entire future of the club if they go down. Um, But Farhad Mashiri came out to say he doesn't want to sell the club. Now, I think when you're seeing reports that Anthony Gordon's being possibly sold, Amadou Onana could also be sold, um, who's only just come to the club, putting some decent performances. You're starting to see, you know, basically asset stripping. You know, they're going to sell everything they can to make as much money as they can before probably they do leave the club. That could leave the club, depending on who buys them, in a really precarious position. I think the problem for me... And I completely understand what you're saying about they need a firefighter. But take away what we've seen this season for a minute. Lampard successfully fought that fire last season. He kept him up. Now this season, like we're back in this cycle again. So if you just appoint another firefighter, say you appoint Sean Dyche, he keeps him up this season. But is he someone that you see building something at the club? Now, the complicating factor here is the stadium and the fact that because of all that investment and everything else going on at the club at the moment, that sort of option of hiring somebody with a view to the future, of maybe even dropping down, building something, to then come back up and be much more stable, you almost don't have that option because we're essentially saying it's not financially viable for a club of Everton's size and everything they're doing at the club to go down. So then, from my point of view, surely you're just entering this cycle of firefighters keep them up, don't really get anywhere, get sacked, repeat process again and again and again. And that's also not building anything. But I think you could you could make the argument that a lot of teams in the Premier League are essentially firefighting because they're all in contention at the start of the season for relegation. And so, you know, uh, there's a bit of retrospective thinking on Sean Dyson and Burnley. He, they finished seventh one season. Mm. And, you know, I think it's about being that kind of Premier League team where at the start of the season people go, are they going to get relegated? but solid enough to get to like 15th, 16th, 17th, maybe a bit higher. And then maybe one season you have an amazing run and you're like, oh, they might get Europa League. That's where Everton need to be. They think they're way beyond that. But, but wouldn't so, your Everton fan mate say exactly. they should be beyond that? Exactly, they absolutely would. And that's the problem they're in where the kind of perception of the club and also within journalism as well, I think the perception of club in the media is big that club. they are big club and that you know Ancelotti came in was going to get them to the Champions League. They are miles off that. And this is why I, I can see the arguments that you're making, Molly, and the Everton fans are making against Sean Dyche. They would be absolutely so lucky to get Sean Dyche. I don't get it. I don't, Gregor, back me up on this, surely. I'm conflicted. Like, I completely understand where you're coming from there. I think it's a broader issue about being a, a fan of a Premier League club that's like in the bottom half of the table because this, this cycle gets kind of quite demoralising and you don't want to, you don't want to just be talking about survival or playing the type of football that will, or getting the type of manager who will play the type of football that will make you survive, then what? They all do want to see something more. And that's why Biel's is probably like sparking a little bit of excitement. They think, well, he will give us more. He might not be the guy who'll keep them up. <laughs> that's the obvious caveat here. And that's an important one, but he would excite them. So like the, the, the thing that smacks me when, with these three names is like, Christ, there, there's no imagination. You know what I mean? Like, Hassan Hutt was a good manager. We've not mentioned him. Mm. He's in the running. But 
again, there's not much imagination about it. Uh, funnily enough, when they when I saw him sacked, the name that came to my mind immediately was someone that was in for the job last time, Vita Pereira, Portuguese guy who Portuguese football fans were saying he has a great style of football, his teams always improve, he's a great coach with young players. And I suddenly thought, oh, they'll just go back for him because I think he basically made a short list of two alongside Lampard. So I, know, I don't even know if he's available or not, to be perfectly honest, but I thought that's the kind of manager that they'll want to revert to. And then suddenly I see these names. The most concerning thing is the styles of the managers. Quite clearly, very different, all three of them. So there's no thinking about what we want Everton to be as a football club. Yeah, this is not. This is the, this is how not to run a football club. Yeah. Like... They took a they took a decision on sacking the manager on the basis of what looked like one maybe two games and and the results of that of those games, and now they're looking around at, at a few names that are recognisable, and as you say, have wildly conflicting Approaches, <laughs> methods and yeah. styles of play. Uh, this is how to run a football club into relegation. But this, the, the 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 point still stands that like if you're an Everton fan, and as Molly says, you're in this cycle, you want something more. And Bielsa would give them that. It's going to be a very intriguing decision. If you could name one of the three, it looks like it would be one of the three to be appointed. By the time you might be listening to this podcast, frankly, who would you go for? Tom? Dyche? All right. Molly? <laughs> I'd say Bielsa, but with the caveat that like he'd need to take him down and rebuild. No, no caveats. No caveats. The goal is to stay in the Premier no League. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, stay Dyche, in the Premier... then? Yeah. Dyche. Dyche. Okay. Are you going to be in the same problem in a year's time? Gregor? I mean, if a... If a if the, just say it, mate. You can agree is, with me. You can point, agree with me. The it's point fine. of the neutral is to say you want to stay up at Sean Dyche, but if I was an Everton fan, I would go for Bielsa. I, I might say Ralph Hasenhüttl, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I mean, that's more he mad than Bielsa. He was quite good, actually, at the start with yeah, Southampton. Yeah. I feel like it's a bit cloudy we, 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 by the way it ended. This it's is it. We were all talking about it. him being... A, yeah. Oh, yeah, these big clubs in European football are going to come and steal him soon and... There were all these things, and and to be honest, his teams were, pretty, you know, quite good for what a while. What was he called? The something Klopp. Yeah, yeah, I can't, I can't remember what it was. Or something. <laughs> yeah, it was something like that, wasn't it? Yeah. But um, but 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 look, Everton are two points away from safety. There's a blanket over seven teams, three mm. points. It's not like, you know, they're not like cut adrift here. So, it's been bad. It's been really bad, <laughs> and they need someone to score goals. If Gordon leaves, he's their joint top scorer with. With Damari Gray on three, like they're in big trouble. Yeah. So they need someone to score goals, and ultimately, whoever they appoint as manager, if they don't change that, then they're down because they're relying and hoping and hoping and praying that Dominic Calvert Lewin will stay fit. He's not staying fit. Mm. Okay, all right. Listen, we'll come back to Everton, I'm sure, in the next episode of the podcast, depending on who they do appoint, if they can do that by Monday. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to be talking about the FA Cup next, a huge game between Manchester City and Arsenal. Remember, if you're enjoying uh, all of our great journalism and journalists here on the game podcast, you can hear more of them uh, at the time. So download the Times app wherever you get your apps from. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. So, there's no big build-up required for the first game in the FA Cup fourth round. A Friday night match at the Etihad. I will be there looking forward to it as Manchester City take on Arsenal. The two best clubs in the country right now, according to the Premier League table, who haven't yet played one another, despite the fact that they've played more than half of their games in the Premier League. They haven't yet met one another in the league thanks to a rearranged game. They will be playing each other three times in a very short space of time. But it means that this FA Cup game holds huge psychological value for the players, the fans and the coaches as well. Will they give much away in terms of what's to come in the Premier League? And look, neutrals are going to be desperate to see this one as well, to see how good Arsenal are. I think that's the main thing on the minds of the neutrals. Are Arsenal, they're cracked up to be, or are Manchester City going to come back and thump them in the, in the title race? Um, I think Arsenal are the better side right now. I expect Arsenal to win this game. But the question is really on the psychological aspect. What do you think? I think psychologically it's really interesting. In the history of the FA Cup, I think you could maybe say United v Arsenal in 99, um, just for, with them both going for the title and it being at that point in the season, obviously United's treble winning season, that felt like a pivotal turning point when they got that win. But you, you're completely right. And because when we think about the psycho- psychological aspect... Arsenal v City at the Emirates last season was a big turning point, I think, for Arsenal fans and for Arteta in terms of everyone kind of watched that game and went, wow, they're having, they're having a go at Man City here. And were it not for kind of idiocy from Gabriel getting sent off, they might have won that game or maybe even got a point, got, at the very least got a point. So I think from that point of view, you know, a year on, they're the better team in the league. Um, 
they're playing unbelievable stuff. But the the narrative in the chat has been like, oh, they've still got to play City. They've still got to play City. A lot of people are like, our City will still win the league, you know, blah, blah. So I think psychologically, Arsenal has just got to be, we're not scared. Verging on, we're not even that fussed. We're not that bothered. Like, I think it'd be really <laughs> interesting. You know, Arteta even might make, like, rest a few. Rest a few. <laughs> That's close to my mind, yeah. Rest That's a few and still go at them. Rest a few, go at them and maybe lose 3-2 and just be like, whatever. Right, anyway, let's go back to the title, lads. You know, just not make it a big thing from Arsenal point of view. Just like, have a go at them anyway. Check, Make a few changes, bring in a few squad players and just be like, sorry, uh, oh, it's Man City, is it? Okay, cool, yeah, no worries. No, worries. no the, the reason, the reason I don't think that's going to happen is because we've had a box office week. Pep came out and, like... I messaged you after that because <laughs> you were mm. at that game the, the Spurs but the City Man City City's Spurs, come back yeah. against Spurs because I've been saying every week there's always a chance that City are going to go on and win 18 in a row whatever like they did 18 of 19 I think when they picked Liverpool uh, to the title by a point and I texted them after it saying this is it this is the start mm. of the 18 game run or whatever <laughs> and it, it could be because it was a it was a massive turnaround and you saw Pep trying to get a reaction from his players and the club as a whole yeah. so that's the kind of context this game has been played in and then I, I was at the, the Emirates the other night and like there's no doubt that something like remarkable is building there and when Arteta was asked afterwards about the about the them being favourites now for the title he refused to to even like consider that as as, as a possibility because he said I know too well the team who's won everything for the last four or five years I know what they're capable of so if they go out and hammer Arsenal, then like of course that's going to have a massive impact on them psychologically because they've got to play them two more times in the Premier League. I just think momentum here is massive. I know, and, I, and you look, you all know I've got a bugbear about Guardiola and his tactics in certain games. Have you? You've never mentioned that before. He's almost got the feeling that, you know, he can keep his sense of power and dominance if he loses with a massively changed team. Mm-hmm. However... If he loses this match, if Manchester City lose this match, it doesn't matter if it's a changed team. Arsenal will feel, well, there you go. We are the better side. We've gone to the Etihad and we've beaten Manchester City. If they come to our place, we expect to win that game with a stronger side. Um, And if we have to come back here again later in the season, what we do in the Premier League, we know what it's like to win here already. So it would be huge for Arsenal to win that game. Basically, Pep can't let it happen. So I think he has to play a stronger side. Um, he has to go for it. He has to keep the momentum that he's been trying to build in the past couple of games. He got a hat-trick from Haaland against Wolves. He got the turnaround against um, Tottenham Hotspur that, honestly, he's not going to get that turnaround much. You know, a better side than Tottenham Hotspur going two goals up in that fashion with such ease, having not really played that well. Manchester City are not going to turn it around every single week as good as they are. You know, I, I know what you messaged me, Gregor, but my, my feeling inside the ground was if it weren't Spurs, Man City wouldn't have won. You know, and that's the reality. That's your second Spurs dig on this podcast. No more. Or two, three strikes. No, but it's out. true. It's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. You cannot, in that fashion, allow teams to go two goals up against you and feel that you're well, you, you going to win the you, game. You're right. You were saying we can't. That's not sustainable. Yeah. So that's true. But I mean, still, I think it's a bit. You can't take away from the fact that they were irresistible in the second half. They so. found the gears that I think could see them win all of those games that you were talking about in a row to come back and win the title. They have to play. They have to start games in fifth gear, Man City. All this, well, they found the extra gear, yeah, in the 70th minute. And it's not going to be good enough every single week. If they play top gear every single minute, every single game, they've got a chance. 
they don't do that at the moment and that's why I don't think they're going to win the league I think it's quite interesting that you kind of point out Pep's maybe overthinking as, as we've maybe referred to it previously I think with these two particular teams you have that extra layer of of Pep Guardiola and Mikel Arteta as well and their relationship and the fact that essentially Arteta sort of built this Arsenal team with the same values that he kind of learnt not only throughout his playing career but under Guardiola at City as well and I think Arteta actually said this week you know there's almost nobody I'd want to do this less with than Guardiola because he knows exactly how good he is he's seen it day in day out for you know however many years so I think that almost adds like an extra like almost Arteta knows what Guardiola does in preparation to those games where maybe he's changed things before so it's almost like a double bluff in a sense because Arteta's maybe going to expect that because he knows exactly what he did in those moments so I think it'll be really interesting and I I just can't wait to watch the the three games I think we're in a way it's you know, we'll talk about postponed games later on, but in a way, the the way this calendar has fallen has has made it perfect for the neutral, hasn't it? Watching it all. You make a really good point, Molly, about the kind of back and forth between the two managers. But just coming back to kind of my uh, cheeky point about Arteta just being almost like blasé and being like sticking in some changed players. The difference is, and Hugh, your point about Pep and tinkering is that sometimes he tinkers in a system way as well as players mm. you know whereas I think Arteta could make some changes but the, one of the points about Arsenal being so good is they're such a well-oiled machine all the players know their roles they know wherever they play wherever they move around whoever they're brought on for they know their role so he could stick Vieira in midfield he could rest a few players and it will be the same same type of Arsenal team whereas with City sometimes and particularly this season as they're still all getting used to Haaland and the way they move around him and the systems he could tinker and it could be completely car crash. So that's why I, I don't I don't want him to. I want them both to play their best teams so that we can really enjoy the game. But I think Arteta could, in a kind of blasé way, not bothered, mate. I also think the one probable fault of that Arsenal team, if you had to pick like a weakness, it is the squad depth. Mm, so like, if you do want to rest players, which actually... I wouldn't mind and I don't think Arsenal fans would actually mind that you know what if it, if if you said to them you can have the FA Cup or the Premier League they they want the Premier League 10 out of 10 times but they don't actually have so Nketiah without because Jesus is injured who else do you play through the middle yeah you've got players like Vieira who have done alright but then someone like Lukonga for example in midfield has been pretty underwhelming this season so I think he actually doesn't have that much to change it with which I think might force him into playing pretty much a stronger team as he has just because he doesn't have that depth yet. But I also think, like I say, the psychological aspect is maybe more important for Arsenal because the the mental strength that they have built up this season, they have been working so hard on, the spirit that you need to go and win the title is fragile because it's Arsenal. They've been hurt before. They've collapsed. No, but they have. They They collapsed last season. Like, it's not a different group of players. There were at times last season in terms of the top four race, you couldn't believe that they weren't going to make it. I think they had, what, an eight or nine point lead with two games in hand or something like that. And they've still managed not to finish in the top four from a brilliant, brilliant position. And look, it's not a league game, it's a cup game. But if they lose this FA Cup game and it affects the momentum and the positivity in some way that means they then go and lose that first league match, I think there will suddenly be all this talk of our Arsenal going to collapse. That's all I'm going to say. One of the great things about these three matches that they will play against one another 
is that this one is obviously on a Friday night, good night game, under the lights. The other two matches that Manchester City and Arsenal are going to play against each other are also midweek. So we are going to get some night matches under the lights, which I think we can look forward to, the drama, the audience, everyone watching. No no one's got to, no one's got to look after that. They'll already be in bed. Okay, there's no, there's no, there's no Sunday roast or anything like that. You know, it's no fourth, no, none of that, no birthday, none of that. Just a Wednesday night, solid school night. Let's get them on the TV. Let the kids stay up late if you want to. But I, I think it's a huge game. I think this is a huge game, and it's going to be a fantastic game. But all I'm saying is, chains of shape and personnel from Pep is is probably what I expect in my heart of hearts. And essentially for him to throw it. Yeah, not in I'm not accusing him of throwing the game, but you know what I mean. If they lose because of the fact No, seriously, what what? Why have you all got your heads in your hands? He's done it before. I don't know I don't know why everyone's so surprised Just at me you saying were so that. measured earlier, you're like, I know people know <laughs> I've got issues with Pep Guardiola, and then ten minutes later, he's gonna throw the game. Three one four two or something like that from Pep. Actually, to be honest, I should I thought really... that was your prediction then. I thought you were saying <laughs> three one or four two, one of the two. No, listen, I think what we all hope for is a straight shootout, right? It's a cup game. Nothing to lose. I think, we'll get, I think we'll get that. I think we'll get a really entertaining game. And I think if you're, you know, if you're moving us on to predictions, because I know Gregor loves them, mm. Arsenal win. No, City win, because it's the start of 18 <laughs> wins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think City win, but I think Arsenal win the title. Ooh, okay. All right, we'll come back to that on Monday, because, um, ah, well, I'm just so intrigued to see what happens, to be perfectly honest. I'm sure we'll all be watching... Uh, that game Friday night uh, I'll be there wow okay I'm looking forward to it okay let's move on um, lots for us still to discuss um, something that has popped up to be perfectly honest of late this is a pretty interesting story that you can read in the Times right now um, but it's about frozen pitches okay we saw a ridiculous one Molly in the WSL to be perfectly honest what was it seven minutes abandoned after seven minutes uh, the other day, there was a massive TV game as well. But a non-league football club chairman has accused some of his players of being more interested in beer and cake than the game. He went on an extraordinary rant. Peter Smurthwaite oversees Bridlington Town AFC and complained in a blog post on the club's website that footballers were becoming so soft that it would not be long until heading and tackling were banned altogether and that players will be playing in specially designed slippers to prevent injury. He's gone in hard. Uh, the rant was triggered by a referee's decision to cancel the club's match against Cleethorpe's Town, which is another Premier League Division 1 East team 20 minutes before kickoff because of frost on the pitch. You've experienced this firsthand, not this game, but this experience almost. I mean, your game actually kicked off. But um, kind of crazy with what's been going on in terms of the weather. Yeah, I think it's it's probably... I don't know how to word this without being anti-non-league, which is not what it's I It's mean. fine. I mean, Hugh's just accused Pep Guardiola of cheating, so don't worry about it. You That's can slag true. off the non-league. Follow that. Um, so I think the part of the problem with the Women's Super League and let's be honest it was pretty fast call how can you kick off a game for six minutes and then call it off quite clearly it wasn't safe Liverpool had complained during the warm ups uh, there's, there's a fantastic compilation video go and look it up of the players just, just mm. going around it's like an ice rink it's literally <laughs> like an ice rink they're all slipping over um, I think the argument for the Women's Super League and the fact that it should be better is that it's the top tier of women's football. It's live on TV. We've got a multi-million pound broadcast deal. So it should be better than this. I think that is the issue 
Although I will say that I actually agreed with some comments that Jonas Eidevold, the Arsenal manager, made this week where he was saying that essentially we, we shouldn't be too emotional about it because it's sort of the topic of the day, the issue of the day. We should immediately spend, and I think it's something ridiculous, like £500,000 to have, like, under soil heating. I think there's a lot more problems in women's football that would really make do with £500,000. And obviously that would only be for one team. So you're you're talking about the fact that you'd need it for, at the very least, Arsenal and Chelsea. I actually agree that I don't think it's the biggest problem in the world compared to some of the other areas in which are underfunded in women's football, whether it's research into player injuries, player welfare, which I think is, is a big topic that obviously we've talked about on here recently. Um, you know, whether it's academies that aren't funded properly, aren't structured properly, we're missing out on talent. I do agree this is very much the topic of the day, but the solution is not necessarily to spend £500,000 to get one small Kingsmeadow pitch under soil heating. I think it would make more sense to have proper... I mean, we, we spoke to um, Viviana Steinhouse-Webb from the PGMOL and she was saying that there wasn't a matchday minus one pitch inspection because Chelsea hadn't requested it. Now, if that pitch inspection had gone ahead, would the game have been cancelled the night before? Probably. Would this not have happened? Probably. So I, I actually think, not really answering your question, but I think it's a different argument for the top tier of women's football to maybe what it is in non-league football. But I'd... I'd I know people on Twitter are going to say that it's relative, so I'm just going to stop talking now. <laughs> no, you shouldn't stop talking because you, you articulated the point about the WSL really well in the kind of the growth of the league and the level of the players that were playing on that pitch. It was absolutely ludicrous. But I think the the Bridlington Town point is brings in a different point as to you know the weather in the UK, man. It brings us all down eventually. Like he's talking about the position of a chairman who wants to make money and has put a lot of money into trying to get the game on. And it was interesting. It, it was very ranty, but he also posted pictures of the pitch looking pretty not frozen. It looked like all right. And he's kind of talking about you know he's paid to have the lights on, electricity bills, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then there's also the fan element. Like last weekend, I got on a train at Kings Cross at ten o'clock to go and meet my dad to go to the Lincoln game at 10.02, four minutes before the train left I happened to check Twitter and they'd called the game off thank God because I would have ended up halfway to Lincoln but with no for, for no point but you know for fans it's incredibly frustrating <laughs> the thing that I think you know Molly you touched on it there and some of the managers touched on it with the WSL is that we don't actually talk about the players that often when it comes to frozen pitches and thankfully we have a man on the show who's <laughs> probably played on a few in his time but I but I you know this I, I genuinely think that like fans it's never about oh I've I've, ne I've never thought about a Lincoln player when it comes to a frozen pitch. I've just thought about whether I'm going to get to the game as a fan or not. And like a lot of the WSL stuff, it felt a little bit like TV money, fans going. You know, th these are elite level footballers in the women's game who were playing on this pitch. Like it it, it does it does fascinate me slightly that both at, at either level the players are kind of feel secondary a little bit credit to our picture editors because um on my story about this chelsea game that got postponed six minutes in there's a picture of erin cuthbert who was one of the players to go over you could see her visibly wince and they've actually got picture of her like thigh area like the side of her thigh it's all just bruised and like the skin's come off it and all she's done is just fallen like she would normally greg is sitting there with a roof of being like oh bunch of softies i've no, played no, no. i've played on ice before i did oh, i have yeah it seems to always remember uh Bradford City, I'll just always be an AC. <laughs> <laughs> always. Playing on pitches where you know you're doing that kind of 
tap, 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 dude, when you're trying to turn, <laughs> you're trying to change direction. You can't. But so, to the Bridlington Town chairman point, with the oh, players are going to be in slippers, they're a bunch of softies. On the match day, our, our players, you know, because you played in the football league, you must have been in there. You know, referees make the decision, but are players part of the decision at all? So are you always, going w- out once you're there, and once you're, are you going out and going? God, no, we can't. Unless it's this. like you know, it's going to make you look like a fool, or going to really put you in danger. You once you're there, once you're stripped up, once you know you're ready for the game you want to play. So you know it has to be pretty bad. I think I think most players would want to play, unless, like I say, and that looked like it was one of those examples where you can't change direction. It's like you shouldn't be out there. You you always want to play. I mean, we I remember going down to like Torquay. And it being called off the next because you have to stay in a hotel the night before, and then it gets called off the next day. You do anything to play, not to make the journey to Torquay again. <laughs> 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 and sometimes I played in games where it kind of it was freezing up as you played. I remember our goal, goalkeeper at Chesterfield, Tommy Lee, great goalkeeper, long hair. They used to sing Tommy Lee, Tommy Lee. He's got long hair, but we don't care, Tommy, Tommy Lee. <laughs> uh, but he always wet his hair, put on a band, and we went out for the second half. And I remember prodding his hair. <laughs> And it was like solid. It was like ice. <laughs> so the game was literally, it was freezing, the pitch was freezing up and everything as you were playing as well. But you would do anything to finish it. So like, again, it's just safety, not looking like a fool or get played. Okay. All right. Anyway, the players are safe. That's the more important the thing. The temperatures are rising. Very much so. Yes. All over the world. Finally, before we go, I've just seen the nominations for the actual Player of the Month, and I'm delighted to say that none of the alternative Player of the Month nominations here on the Game Podcast are included. So it works. The whole premise of this article works this month. Fantastic. And none of the players we've gone for are that good either. So let's start with you, Gregor, because you have pulled out the the biggest of them all. I mean, usually you go for a player who's playing very, very well and it's kind of like, oh, they probably should have been pl- nominated for Player of the Month. This time around, you've cottoned on to what Alternative Player of the Month is all about. <laughs> go ahead. I'm going for young Hugo Bueno, the Wolves' left wing-back. Uh, 20-year-old who Steve Davis gave uh, a debut. He'd worked with him in the academy for a couple of years and when Steve Davis got the interim role, gave him his debut against Forest. He's not looked back. I think he's played every Premier League game since. Um, really quick, neat and tidy on the ball. Um, great cross on him. Got a great delivery, and he's he's got an interesting story too. In that he, Wolves kind of stumbled over him <laughs> on on a scout a scouting trip to to Vigo in Spain in 2018, um, just by chance, and invited him for a trial. How old was he in 2018? In 2018. How old is he now? 20. 20. So he's what so he 16. Joined, he joined the academy. Yeah. Yeah. So he's been Wolves academy until this season. Um, and so he took him on trial and he impressed and he was a winger or a number 10 and he's also got an identical twin brother uh, Wheelie I'm not sure that's how you pronounce it anyway uh, <laughs> and he plays for Did, Dor- didn't he, have the name in but he, okay. also, he also came he came on trial afterwards they brought him on trial but by this point they'd both kind of he'd, he'd switched he'd switched to a left wing back role and his brother's also a left wing back, and they're kind of like, this, he's also he's a really good player, but they thought this would be ludicrous to sign another player. So he's signed for Dort- Dortmund, and he's playing in Dortmund, wow. Dortmund's second team now. Um, and yeah, I mean, imagine they've got two identical twin brothers who are playing exactly the same position, and are both kind of on the verge of making a breakthrough. And I think he's been he's been outstanding, a real bright spark for 
for Wolves in a difficult season and mm. even after Steve Davis has stepped back into the academy and Lopetegui has taken over he's also seems seems very impressed too so Hugo Bueno one that you guys let's be honest hadn't even heard of <laughs> I, 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 I heard of him I heard of him I knew he played for Wolves but I couldn't have told you which position he played so definitely alternative Molly I have gone for Mikhailo Mudrik because you you like all the other pundits were impressed with that 20 minutes have you? right so this is the 20 minutes that makes him slightly less alternative right we're given that so you've you've seen him play now seen he's yeah he's quite good but it just adds to the absolute drama so it's January love it bit of transfers as long as I'm not involved in it in which case I hate it but absolutely nailed on going to Arsenal gets on the old social media you know a gunner he's got he's got pictures of Arsenal in the background of his you know TV on his Instagram story everyone's adamant he's coming to Arsenal and I just think this sums up the sort of modern you know when when players sign for a team they're like I've always dreamed of signing for this team but to sign for Arsenal you might believe it then about two days later he signed for Chelsea so for the absolute s housery of that he is my alternative player of the month and even better he could actually be the player of the month next month because he looks quite good so Chelsea have, have won that one got one over Arsenal now I was going to go for Wout Weghorst but I've decided that he's almost certainly going to be my alternative player of the year so I'm going <laughs> to save that back and keep it for the end of the season um I always do this because I I just love I love the the uh, the idea so much that I have so many ideas pouring <laughs> out of me. Kepa Ariza Balaga gets my honourable mention for uh, for the month, but he's genuinely playing quite well and he's done all right of late. So. He's not. Yeah, he's been rubbish. Now I see. Well, there you go. He would have been alternative. Maybe I'll pick him. But no, instead I'm going to go for Danny Ings. Why you ask? Well, he scored a pretty important goal for Aston Villa in their draw with Wolves earlier in the month. Then manages to get his third big money move of his career. Despite, I don't know for me, never actually being that good. Scores a couple of goals early on in his career sometimes, like look pretty sharp at certain points, but generally he's not a sure thing. Despite what David Moyes thinks when he said when he signed him and said, Yeah, this guy guaranteed goals. So guaranteed that this is a little um uh shout out for my brother who put him straight into his fantasy football team oh. and made him captain, oh. only to see him start on the bench for West Ham in his debut, come on, and then brilliantly pick up an injury. So there you go. A goal, a fantasy football captain, and a big money move. It's been a big month for Danny Ings. Has to be the alternative player of the month. I have gone for Brighton's young striker, Evan Ferguson. This team has been crying out for a number nine for years, and they have found the solution. The best thing about his game is keeps it simple. It's not a young player trying to impress on the entire world what a great player he is. Play it into his feet, he'll give it back. Get it wide, he'll get in the box. He'll throw his head at things. He's old school with a little bit of quality as well, and you can understand why he was spoken about um, for so long. Well, I say for so long. For those inside the club have been earmarking him for so long to be a player uh, in the future because um, everything that we've seen so far, it's essentially what we've wanted to see from Brighton for so long, and we thought, are they going to sign a player good enough to be able to do that? They haven't needed to. They brought a player through. He's fantastic. I know you want to say something about him, Gregor. I can see it in your face. No? And that is why I've chosen him as alternative no, player of the month. 
It is a good shout. I mean, let's be honest, yours is the best shout by yeah, mile. Definitely. Ours are all a bit definitely. too alternative, aren't they? Really? <laughs> <laughs> yours too, definitely are. Yeah, mine and, Mo- mine and Molly's are just plain weird, let's be honest. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm going for Evan Ferguson to have um, a brilliant end to this season and he will be nominated for Alternative Player of the Month, if not Player of the Season in the real world very very soon anyway uh, that is the end of the podcast thank you all for listening Gregor Robertson Molly Hudson Tom Clark for being great company remember you can get more of our great journalism at the times download the app if you want more of the podcast just hit that bell the notification button you won't miss an episode and you can subscribe to the game at thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game we'll see you on Monday Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.